Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with our last off-season edition of 2019 of the Longhorn Blitz podcast. This is Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Not going to waste any time. Camp starts this week, so let's get right into it, talking some Texas Longhorns football. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. Matt, how are you, sir? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm wonderful. And the third member of our team, a renaissance man, not just here on Longhorn Blitz, but on 104.9 The Horn, where you hear him on the broadcast each and every weekday from 1 to 3. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and he over the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring gets back in his possession, he will wear it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor, you're a black card member. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts. Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for that intro, brother. Rod, I want to start this week's show with you here in just a sec, but first, some housekeeping items, house cleaning items. I want to remind everybody, thank you guys so much for downloading this show. However, you get an Apple podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, however you're getting this show. Our numbers are great right now. The support for the show is growing. The Blitz is growing, so we thank you guys so much. Don't forget to like us, leave us a review, all that fun stuff. That's how we keep this show going. The folks at Corporate love to know uh, what the feedback is, so uh, thank you guys so much for that. And, as has been the case on the Blitz for a few weeks now, the momentum on the recruiting trail for Texas keeps rolling along. Mike Roach and I will chop it up uh, in the last portion of the podcast this week. Some good stuff. We're talking Bijan Robinson. We're talking the Stars at Night Camp. All that fun stuff. So get your recruiting mix here at the end. If you want to hear the recruiting, go ahead. And this is the portion of the podcast where you fast forward. But if you want to talk some Longhorn football, we've got that for you right now. So, Rod, I said I want to start with you. And I want to start with you because this. You guys at the Horn yourself, Bucky Godbolt, Aaron Hogan, Craig Wade, Chad Hastings, Kevin Dunn, Trey mm-hmm. Elling, minus Brad Kellner, part of the award-winning midday show that's yet to win any awards. Um <laughs> You guys had your round table. You're doing the Horn Top 20. You guys do this every year. You take one team a day leading up to the start of the season. I've got a pretty good guess who one and two are going to be. After that, everything is in flux. Everybody, yeah. Everybody knows And that. I know E. Hogan said it's going to be kind of a compilation, but everybody kind of submitted their ballots. Not only Bucky Godbolt, Rod, but you had Texas at number five. Yeah. In your official Rod Babers preseason poll. So... There's a number of different ways, Rod, as we talked about, you can attack a preseason poll, right? You can can say who are the best teams, who are going to be the best teams at the start of the year, who's going to finish finish. in these positions. Yeah, you can go anyway. So, Rod, you had Texas at five. I had them at five. What is your justification for having Texas that high? Uh, I think my justification was I have them beating LSU. So, and, you know, I'm not the only one. I think Kirk Herbstreit came out last week and said, you know, he, he thinks Texas is going to be his door course to make it to the college football playoff, right. which means he's got him beating LSU. Um, 
if I got them beating LSU, and I we know they can beat Oklahoma, especially an Oklahoma team that now doesn't have the services of a Kyler Murray or a Baker Mayfield. Now, Jay, you're going to get the best of Jalen Hurts, but I don't know if the best of Jalen Hurts is going to be in the in the rarefied air that Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield were, but it's going to be still pretty right. damn good. Right. It's, it's Lincoln Raleigh. And I know their defense is going to be improved. We just don't know how much it's going to be improved with Alex Grinch. Um, but I think Texas has a really good chance to beat OU this year, mostly because OU just, they, you know, their offense has to, I, I envision it has to take some kind of step back. And I don't know if you want to call it a step. Maybe they just lean back a little bit. <laughs> they, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because it's Lincoln Riley, uh, mm-hmm. and I don't want to disrespect him. But if I got them beating Oklahoma and beating LSU, and I think that they're not going to go undefeated. I don't have them undefeated. I think they'll, un- uh, unfortunately, Tom Herman, and we know this based on his four years that he's been a head coach, he has those games where he plays to his competition. That's a good and a bad thing. All right. The good thing is when you play LSU and you play Oklahoma, and play Georgia, your competition. And Florida yeah. State. And Florida State, yeah, you're going to play your competition. Bad thing is when you play Oklahoma State uh, and randomly in Maryland, Maryland, all right, and UConn. You Texas Tech in 2017, you play to your competition. Yeah. And I think Tom Herman is still going to, uh, you're going to see growing pains, him trying to psychologically make the shift be- be- between being a, a David and a Goliath. Now he's a Goliath. Now the target is on his chest. He's going to be an underdog twice this year. It'll be Oklahoma and LSU. That's it. And right. in, in, and if everything is going according to plan in the future, he's only going to be an underdog maybe once a year, if that. Yeah. You know what I mean? How does Tom Herman handle that and preparing his team psychologically for you know the you know being the the top dog and being the Goliath and not the David? Yeah, I you believe know. if I'm remembering right, I think the numbers are Tom Herman at Texas. As an underdog, I think they're, he's 8-2-1 and one against the spread with five outright wins. And I know as a favorite— As by, a head coach, he's like, what, yeah, 10, 10 yeah, wins? So, yeah, yeah, yeah so right, his record like as a head coach is ridiculous. But I think at Texas, it's something like eight as an underdog. It's yeah. like 8-2 and two against the spread. 8-2-1, and one, I think, with five outright wins. But on the flip side, to your point, Rod, as a favorite, when he's favored by a touchdown or more at Texas, he's 2-7 and seven against the spread with three outright losses. Yeah. So that's you like you said. That's more to me psychological than anything, because clearly it's not it's not talent or not scheme talent, or anything man. else. Yeah, the teams even going back to U of H, the teams that he's losing to more often times than not are you know they're all that are playing him down to the wire are teams that aren't supposed to be at uh, athletically on the the, the 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 level of his roster. So now I can yeah. I, if you look at his U of H losses, maybe I can give you Navy because they did have I think Tyus Bowser was out for that game, and it's it's Navy like you prepare for the triple option. Once every like three years, so maybe I can give you that. Even though Greg Ward was out, I can't do much about that UConn loss in fifteen. UConn, yeah, uh, you and know, then I think he was gone. The SMU loss SMU his second loss. year, I yeah, about that one. Oh, I forgot about well, the they got SMU boat race by SMU. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. Those so are the ones. That, that's his challenge. But I will say the reason, the, the number one reason, was not Tom Herman. I know he's great, and I I'm a big Tom Herman fan. The number one reason that I picked Texas number five, and I trust me, I'm not trying to be a Texas homer here. You guys know. I, I pretty much like to call it like I see it. I think Sam Ellinger is special. I think he I is legit special. I heard Bruce Feldman say he's the best competitor in the country. <laughs> you he's know getting I mean? that Tebow sort of yeah, effect around he, he him. Kept, like everybody's starting to make the these comparable. Tebow comparisons to him. Um, Tom Herman says he's the best leader he's ever had. Um, Tom Herman says he's the best quarterback that he's ever had. 
I, you know, I mean, I, I'm just listening to all this stuff, and I, I'm watching Sam Ellinger have a better sophomore season than Vince Young and then Colt McCoy, and I'm just reading the tea leaves. And when Texas has a quarterback that's special, usually this is the year it pops. Mm-hmm. It's this year. It's the junior year. It pops for yeah. him. And you could argue last year it popped for him. Sam Ellinger is the reason that I'm kind of going all in on Texas. I think the defense will end up getting better. But Todd Orlando will take more chances this year with that defense than he has the first two years. Why? Because of Sam Ellinger. He has a tr- when you have a trust in your, your offense that you guys can score points, and I think that Todd Orlando and Tom Herman have trust that Sam Ellinger and company and a supporting cast, Colin Johnson, Keontae Ingram, Jordan Whittington, all those guys, that they can score points. Watch how, many, watch, how, watch how many more chances you see Todd Orlando take, how many times he's, he's getting and blitzing after the quarterback run blitzes, how exotic he can get with some of the looks now. Because I think he has a bit of a – there's some security that for the first time since Tom Herman's been here, I got an offense. Mm-hmm. Like, I got offensive firepower. Last year we didn't know Lil Jordan Humphrey was going to be what he was. Yeah. <laughs> kind of came out of nowhere. This year they're like, no, no, no. We got proven commodities. We got Colin Johnson. We know Keontae Ingram's going to be good. This offensive line's going to be the best offensive line that he's had since he's been here. You got reinforcements coming on the offensive line. You know, I just think the offense is going to be where it, it can control a game if necessary. It can outscore an opponent if necessary. It can get in the shootout. It can do mm-hmm. almost anything because Sam Ellinger is just that good, guys. Yeah, we, okay, you know I mean? so that's where I wanted to go He's just next. that good. We talked about last year how malleable the offense was on a week-to-week basis. Like, hey, what do you need to do to, to win this game? You need to get in the shootout. You need yeah. to you know, run some clock, whatever. It kind of did that. But I don't know, Rod. Like, to me, I get what you're saying. But I, going back to if this isn't so much psychological, I think it's almost philosophical. I think there's a lot that goes into it. I think the growth of Ryan Bushevsky is part of it, how much Todd Orlando trusts his defense and mm-hmm. what chance he takes. They got to do something different in the fourth quarter of games to to close Very people true. out, yeah. Because there's no like, look, there's no reason why like games like Tulsa, even though that was what it was, and we saw the odd with this team grow from that game. Mm-hmm. There's no reason that game should have been as close as it was. And there was really no reason the Kansas game should have been as close as Agreed. it was. You're up. They were up 21 points in the fourth quarter against Oklahoma. Yeah. You know, so like th- that to me is where this program's got to take the next step is. Man, develop and and it's really weird. I say develop the killer instinct, but we've seen Rod whether it's the end of the USC game or you know at times against Georgia, like when they need to finish off an opponent, they can put together a drive and do it. It's just can you be? And I guess this goes back to what we talked about initially. Can Tom Herman be the same guy when you're getting ready to face a two and five? You know, whoever can you bring that same juice, that same energy, that same focus, get your team prepared to play as much as you can when they're getting ready to play LSU? You know, can you not take your foot off the gas in a fourth quarter? And, and when you're blowing somebody out, go ahead and finish the job. I think a lot of that is, and I agree with you, I don't think we can blame the offense totally for that. No. You know, we talked about how good the offense is, you brought up, at being able to uh, kind of suffocate an opponent with these long drives, you know, 13 play drives that, you know, and which is in college football these days almost unheard of to keep mm-hmm. a drive along. A luxury that to have, too. It, it really is. You're going you, against the grain. It's because you got a quarterback that can be a short yardage weapon for you. That's mm-hmm. why you're number two in the country in, in fourth down success rate. But I think it's Todd Orlando. And that's why I said when Todd Orlando now, when he has psychologically the comfort of an offense that can score, I think a lot of those fourth quarters, he's a little anxious. He's like, 
holy hell, I didn't expect to be up this big. All right, mm-hmm. all right, what do I do? So, all right, let me play a little bit safe here. Todd Orlando's not a safe guy. Right. He's aggressive. He plays uh, defense the way you're supposed to play offense. And I think now with the luxury of a Sam Ellinger and a proven commodities on offense, I think he'll go, and we know the talent shows you a higher upside on defense potentially, but they don't have a lot of experience. We know that, and we've gone over that several times. Probably the most inexperienced defense that we've seen at Texas in the last 30 years. But I think in the fourth quarter, when Texas does have a lead in the fourth quarter, you'll see Tardo Lando be a little bit more experimental. I think you'll see him take more chances and take more risks because he has that offense. When you have an offense that can score defensively, you think different. I always say when, you're, when, you, when you play with a lead defensively, and you got an offense you trust, it's like it's like walking around with money in your pocket. When you have money in your pocket, on payday, people act differently. Mm-hmm. They've done studies, all right? Around payday, people act differently. They walk, they go. When you go clubbing and you go out, if you've ever been a single man, you go out to, to talk to a woman. When you a broke dude going to talk to a woman, man, it's totally different than when no you options. walk out there and you got cash in your pocket going to talk to a woman. That's the difference as a defense between playing with a lead and playing mm-hmm. without one. It's confidence. And I think sometimes this defense, I think they were shaking a little bit. I don't think I think Todd Orlando's confidence was shaking last year. Yeah. Well, I, I think, think we saw that sort of where the team was last year too. From because we talked about last year was the year we were hoping to see exponential growth from game one through twelve because it was admitted that this was a young team, inexperienced, and even this mm-hmm. year's defense is going to be one. So you it knew is. the room for growth was there. You've seen other teams do that type of transformation when you're in year two, three, when you got a new coach and it's the young players that are the more talented ones yet lack experience and may make a few mistakes and growing pains. But the difference from the Tulsa game to Georgia was immense. And now along the way, like you said, you had a Kansas game, but think back to 04 with Texas before the 05 season when Vince was in his sophomore year, yep. a Kansas game. You almost lose that one up there. It's yeah. a fourth and the 17. Oklahoma the States. No, no. Time, yeah. You have all those. So like, even though you don't want to have a team like Tulsa be there with Texas in the second half, to think that Texas isn't going to have one of those games over 12 is almost just irrational. Agreed. That's coming from your fan base. So, yeah. especially when they're young. Now, if you don't have one of those games, that's sort of how 05 happened, and you just are better than everybody and can go out there and dominate. And that's where you're hoping Texas has went from the point, like, all the way from Sam mimicking what Vince did after that 04 year, and we talk about the junior year of these quarterbacks and then we see the group and the cohesion the young players like the young core that's going to be I mean even the secondaries are so similar to where you have that room to continue what was the exponential growth you didn't get to beat Oklahoma to get into the playoff for the Big 12 championship game but you were really close close. and you weren't expected to be there and considering where you were at certain points early in the season against like Maryland or Tulsa to see that vast improvement I think is only going to give this team like that's so far in the rear view mirror that I don't even think it's on their conscience maybe in the fans conscience or something those few games that maybe were the ugly marks last year but the players are just confident as hell. no the the, the play the players know because Colin Johnson talked about it at Big 12 media days he said you know the, when you look at the best teams in the country that's a step this program needs to take they blow yeah. people out like when you look at Alabama oh, yeah. and Clemson that's and Georgia like, they, year, blow they weren't people there out. yet yeah yeah, I agree. Well, but I think the frustrating part, Matt, is when you're up by 21 in the fourth quarter against Oklahoma. And, and that's on the defense. And I think the, life will be easier on the defense, number one, because the, the air raid influence is is dissolving right. here. In the yeah. you don't have Dana Hogan, you don't have Cliff Kingsbury. Those those teams haunted. You just they, for they really did. They, they really did. They haunted Todd Orlando. And number two, I I do think Todd Orlando has earned my trust. And trust me, I don't give defensive coordinators my trust. 
you know what I mean, wholeheartedly. With that, with that Alamo Bowl uh, two years ago in 20, what, 2017, the 2017 mm-hmm. season. The Texas Bowl. Uh, the Tex- Texas Bowl, excuse me, Alamo Bowl. Texas Bowl. Yeah, they're all the same. Uh, know, but mm-hmm. still. Uh, the Texas Bowl where you don't have Houghton Hill, you don't have Deshaun Elliott, you don't have Malik Jefferson, and yet you hold, well, they're a top 10 offense at the time. I think they were averaging over 50 a game and something like you know five, what I mean? five and, 50. And you pretty yardage. much shut them down with a – a cast of characters that didn't include arguably your three best players on defense. You know what I mean? And to me, that that showed a lot. In 2018, we saw something similar, well, 2019 technically, when in the Sugar Bowl where nobody expected him to throw out nine to ten defensive linemen and beat them with – and really beat them over the head, uh, Georgia, with defensive line depth. Um, yeah, man, I think – I don't know. I, I trust Todd Orlando. I do. And I've, we've watched a lot of def- defensive coordinators, and I don't know if I trusted Manny Diaz this much early on, and you know that because I brought it up on this show yeah. before about Manny Diaz at the time. And the mm-hmm. same thing with Vance Bedford's defense yep. at the time. I've said it numerous times still, and I brought up Todd Orlando's struggles last year. I trust him because I can see the blueprint. I know where he's going. I know the adjustments. And I can tell you, I can th- almost predict what he's going to do this year, too. Yeah, here's the other thing, though, Rod, and you hit on a little bit. You talked about the Sugar Bowl. What gives me confidence in Todd Orlando, and we haven't really hit on this, and I, I don't, I think probably Texas fans understand this, but I keep I, I keep hearing, like, at Big 12 Media Days, I was hearing guys ask about, well, the defense struggled last year. The defense struggled last year. Yeah, in terms of numbers, yeah, it was a drop off. They were but really good. W- what I looked at, you know, <clears throat> Everybody's going to struggle. You're going to struggle against Texas Tech some mm-hmm. some weeks, right? You're, you're going str- to give up yards. You're going to struggle against Dana Holgerson. Like in this league, yeah. so when you're facing those kind of offenses, there's going to be a game or two where, yeah. man, it just ain't your week. That's the way it is. But when you look at the adjustments he made, Rod, and how good he was, call, how good a game he called in that Iowa State game, and you talk about getting comfortable understanding your personnel. Go back and look at how many different things they did in that Kansas game. And yep. granted, it's Kansas, so maybe you can experiment yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But we saw Anthony Cook playing the dime. We saw Joseph Osai inside yeah. a little bit. Like yeah. he's doing so many different funky. things. I like that. And then I actually, you know, I'll be honest, like Chip Brown and I got almost in an argument in the press box because Chip didn't like the game plan against Oklahoma. And he's like, why aren't they bringing pressure on Kyler Murray? Why aren't they bringing pressure on Kyler Murray? And I told Chip flat out, I'm like, probably because he's thinking about. The game in October where Kyler Murray went 67 yards and obliterated every angle against mm-hmm. a really fast defense. Yeah. And at the end of that game, it was Oklahoma's worst rushing game of the year. I think he only had like pressure, 137 yards. He's going to force him out of the pocket and play yeah. to his strength, and he's going to run. It, we yeah. talk about with Oklahoma, like, pick your poison. Like, it's like getting bit by a rattlesnake. You want to get bit in the face or the crotch. Which I ones? Which one do I have a better chance to survive it? All well, right, I'll go with that. I don't want yeah. the so, I'll give me the face. And then the game, and then the game plan against Georgia was, was freaking brilliant. Was I think, Rod, this isn't to me like – Clearly, at the end of 2012 with Manny Diaz, when they had a few good outings, a lot of that was fool's gold. I think this, to me, really says Todd Orlando turned a corner, and I think he really learned something about calling defense in this league and kind of developing, like you talk about, just that different psychological edge. Like, yeah, you've got to be aggressive. You've got to stick with it for four quarters because the minute you take your foot off the gas or you get outside of your mm-hmm. comfort zone – these play callers and he, and he's and and I I say that because he talked a lot about in his press conference at coaching school the the combination of play callers mm-hmm. quarterbacks and skill talent in this league are just too damn good yeah on the whole um, level I, I I agree with everything you said except for one thing Manny Diaz it wasn't fool's gold he didn't adjust and that's what we've that's why now we're complimenting Todd Orlando on 
is just continue to grow and evolve. The system for even the 2017 year, right? We comes up with that that lightning package and that dirty dime after observing what John Heacock and Iowa State are doing. Um, and you guys talked about that at Horns 24/7. Yeah, that was brilliant. It was like you know what? Now I'm willing to grow. I gotta. I got. I got to change. We get something. 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 We got to do something out of necessity. Uh, we got these. This many great DBs. Um, you know, we have injuries in the secondary. The PJ Lock. This is what I'm going to implement. And it was brilliant. Um, and we saw the same thing this year. Even you know, I remember when tackling became an epidemic. That sounds mm-hmm. sound like Matt mm-hmm. Brown. Um, it's a problem in America, Rod. It was. But last year, remember, at one point last year, last six games of the season, the Longhorn football, the Longhorn defense missed, I think, an average of 17 tackles per game. And toward the end, and he got they got much better toward the end. But I mean, most of that was because of Oklahoma State and West Virginia, West Texas Virginia, Tech. that, that and they three were Texas, yeah, where they missed. I mean, yeah. a ton of tackles in those games. And what happened was, I remember Todd Orlando, and we talked about it on the show coming and saying, "No, no, we're going, we, we're tackling in practice. Like we're 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 going full pads uh, in practices as much as we can because we're going to rectify the tackling issue." And some people were worried, "Is it going to wear down guys? Are you going to have injuries as a result?" He's like. That doesn't matter. I type. We're gonna die yeah. anyway. We're gonna die a slow death if we can't tackle on the field. So honestly, if the guys can't tackle and they're gonna get hurt, let's just have it happen in practice, and then we'll deal with that situation later. But I have to fix the tackling gotta issue. Tackle. I gotta be able to tackle the number one. Don't matter if you have healthy guys fund- not tackling. The fundamental, uh, you know, fundamental practice of defense is to tackle guys. And he, I mean, he didn't fix the tackling problem, but against Georgia. Tackling wasn't an issue right. against one of the teams that actually was one of the top, I won't say the backfields, was one of the top uh, uh, backfields in the country in terms of forcing missed tackles. Mm-hmm. And yet against that group, I think they had, I want to say I counted like three or four missed tackles. It's the tackles. number one run game in the SEC. You know what I mean? So the issues that come up, he fixes those. I do dual threat quarterbacks haunt him. But hell, Nick they Saban struggles with dual threat yeah. quarterbacks. Everybody does. They're a cheat code. Mm-hmm. And the air raid offense seems to it seems to dumbfound them a little bit but hell the truth is everybody still struggles with the air raid a little bit even Gary Patterson instead of being able to defend the air raid he 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 was consumed by it yeah. he gave into it and was like you know what we're going to become the air raid offense screw it so i don't know if anybody's really conquered the air raid it took over a damn conference and, and now look at the, the, NFL. the NFL's just starting to figure out man these air raid quarterbacks are pretty damn good yeah. so who are the most exciting quarterbacks in the NFL air raid quarterbacks Jared Goff Baker Mayfield, Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray this year. Oh, yeah, those rate quarterbacks are pretty damn good. Yeah, no shucks, Sherlock. Yes. You know what I mean? So I, the things that he struggles with, I don't, I don't give him a pass, but I think everybody struggled well, with that. Well, yeah, and it's thing. the culture. We talked about it all the time with being in the Big 12, and then you mentioned how lucky Texas is, just the fact that there is no Holgerson to worry about or no Kingsbury this year. And when you look right. at the defense last year, these are the percentile performance, 100 good, zero bad. You look at the five teams that were true air raids, the Oklahoma game in uh, the Big 12 championship, 6 percentile performance, 13 percentile performance. You look at West Virginia, 10%. Then it was Tech, 11. Oklahoma State at 18. Now look at all the other Texas mm. games. Literally, 70, 90, 91, 70, 92, 80, 70, 66, 69. It's literally in the top third of all college football performance whenever you factor in who you're playing. 
It's yep. literally couldn't be more cut dry in Texas. What was the Iowa State grade, man? Iowa State was 91. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's one of the best. Iowa State, 91. K-State, 92. KU was 90. Then T, it was all the others are between 60 and 80. But still, when you combine that and look at Texas just not having to deal with a Baker or Kyler Murray from Oklahoma, that's two games. Then two of those coaches are gone. The only one left's Gundy. You have Gundy and then whatever Lincoln Riley's bringing yeah. left. So that's only going to be two games where you had five last year that could have been it because you played Oklahoma twice. And yeah. Gundy's not really in the air raid club per se. He's, We've seen he's him. He's not, be, but he but adopted he's a, a great lot of the, he is. He's he's basically you know he's a third cousin of the air raid. <laughs> They're yeah. direct descendants of it, like you know, like uh, Lincoln Riley and like Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, and Sonny Cumbie and those guys, but he's a, he's a third cousin because he loved Daner Hogerson, and he's been in the Big 12 for so long Big 12 through coach. the Air Raid generation that he's already picked up a lot of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. He's not directly. It's not like one of those, like, uh, I guess, even though, you know, you almost have to say he who shall not be named, Art Bryles would be like a third cousin. Like, it's the Veer and Shoot was his deal, and yeah, you It was, got... but he's a direct descendant because he worked with at Texas. He, he was on that staff. He was on that staff. Hell, when I played against him, right? Well, if we're talking about like a wide receiver, yeah. so I, there are certain guys. I think there are a lot of direct, way more direct descendants than you think because well, they actually on that tech staff with Leach. To me, that's a direct descendant. Okay, yes, you know 100%. I mean? the, the third cousins Influence. are the ones who were never pro, uh, 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 on a Leach staff or anybody with Leach. So, like Mike but, Gundy getting Dana Holgerson for a year or two, whatever it was. Yes, that, that, that introduced him to up. it. You know what I mean? And when you look at, I mean, just if you have a transcendent offensive mind, there's going to be that guy. If you're going up against a damn good. Coach, it's going to be hard to stop, and that's the thing. Big 12 is sort of where you go to find those next minds to where we'll see where it goes from here. But even last year, you look at Texas on passing downs, 26th in the nation. On standard downs, 44th. You look at rushing overall defense, 38th and 45th in passing, and that's in context by far so much better than the rest of the Big 12 because you got to consider your opponents. If Texas was playing Duke or was playing whoever in the Big East, your numbers would be so much better than they are in the Big Right. Uh, off the top of my head, is the Big 10 the only Power 5 league where you don't have some sort of either like – because to me there's like two families of it. Like I said, like there's the – there's the Air Raid family, and then there's, to me, like the Art Browse, Gus Malzahn. Yeah, like, yeah, that little spread. tree that broke off. Yeah. yeah. It's like Christianity, right? You got mm-hmm. all the different, you know, you're the yeah. Protestants and the Catholics and the Baptists. And you got and Lutherans. Like, oh, the Lutherans, and, you know, it's, it, okay. it's the same thing. That's all, like, is the all bi- offenses Is are. the yeah. Big Ten the only Power Five league that doesn't have – well, I mean, I guess Scott – but Scott Frost isn't really from – well, no, Scott he, Frost of Oregon. So he's a Chip Kelly guy. Chip though. Kelly, yeah. See, so that's a that's a whole nother, yeah, that's a whole okay. nother tree right there. Chip Kelly, yeah. And then I guess – I believe Ryan Day's a Chip Kelly guy, yeah, the, uh, okay. the new coach at Ohio yeah. State. So Chip Kelly's got a good tree too. Yeah. People don't like Chip Kelly, but Chip Kelly's tree oh, is God. really, really. And what the NFL learned, and I, I think it's great. It's a Mike Lombardi quote from a man, I, and I, I can't remember what year it's from. Maybe it's from two years ago. He was talking to Luke Falk, and huh. uh, Luke Falk, the Washington State quarterback. Oh, here it is. And Washington, he was saying, he's talking to him about you know trying to get an interview with him about the scout scouting process and all that. And he said uh, during the interview, Luke Falk told me a team asked him who calls the runs at Washington State, and Falk said, oh, head coach Mike Leach only calls pass plays, man. We have to call the run play. We adjust Like, it. we have to see it, and then we go, oh, that I'm going to check into a run play. And he said nobody, everybody was shocked in the NFL to find out air raid quarterbacks were 
responsible for that much at the line of scrimmage. Had that Audibling, much yeah. autonomy at the line of scrimmage. And it's simple like, reads. But here in the Big Twelve, we all know there are tons of stories about Mike Leach cussing out his quarterbacks, dog yep. cussing them because they didn't change the play. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. he's like, "Don't be an idiot. Don't be a robot. Change the damn play." He would have press conferences like mm-hmm. and post game press conferences like, "I told him to change. You know, change the play. Do what you see. You think it's right because I can't tell you what to do on the field." He loves quarterbacks like that, and in a sense, all the air raid coaches that have come from that. That's why all the the quarterbacks from the air raid they all end up coming coaches. Yeah, they all they all have this grasp of offense. It's ingrained in them. They all like, no, no, I can run a damn offense. I basically was running the offense, and they just found this out. So now the NFL's like, oh, I thought those air raid quarterbacks didn't have any uh, responsibility at the line of scrimmage. Now let's draft Baker Mayfield at the top, and then let's interview him and find out. Oh, this is how the air raid works. And then Kyler Murray, and then Mm -hmm. you know it goes on. I mean, like the the very shoot quarterbacks, a lot of that's coaches calling from the sideline. But I know like like Gundy's quarterbacks uh, and Holgerson's quarterbacks. They check everything. Exactly. They check protections, everything. Yeah. The NFL didn't know and that until like like your five center, years your, your center usually checks your protections. No, from what I was told, like in Gundy's offense and Holgerson's offense, the quarterback checks everything. Yeah. It, so, it, if the protect, so if the protection's messed up, it's not on the center, it's on the quarterback. Exactly. So he's getting back to the air raid thing. Like, yeah, right. I mean, that's the progression of the air raid. Now it's going but to be the, the point in, in all this, to tie it together, is I think for Todd Orlando and for Tom Herman, when we talk about, you know, game-to-game mm-hmm. consistency, it just goes back, Rob, the theme for me, for the coaches, is you be who you are. Like, when Tom Herman's gotten himself in trouble, whether it was the, the Maryland game last year or the Texas Tech game the year before, like, we heard about, no, nah, we're going to change it up in practice. Maybe we'll go one less padded practice. No, man, and I think that to you, that's point. your point about Todd Orlando. Well, what about this? We'll worry about that later. Yeah. We're going to be who we are. Physical. We're going to hit in practice. Yeah. We're going to have our bloody Tuesday practices. Great point. We're going to do all that. And, and if in the end, if you, know, you lose, and you can do that, for Tom Herman and Todd Orlando, you should be able to do that at Texas, given the way they're recruiting right now, because hey, your depth is going to be way better than it ever was going to be at Houston. Yeah, and that, just exactly. because of the caliber of recruits you have. Yeah, no. Question. So at some point, if you just be who you are and you keep along this path, that someone's like, oh, we lost a left guard. Great, the backup's just as good as he is. I totally Roll agree with you. Because even in 2017, one thing we were really impressed with with this team, even though they lost some of those, you know, those big games against you know USC and uh, on the big stage against Oklahoma. We we all said on this show, I think Texas was the more physical team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They lost the game, but just watching, it's like I think Texas was pushing USC around. They were, and yep. you know, and Bam Bam Sam was a big part of it. So I agree with you. You got to be who you are, and that's I think he's I think Tom Herman's going to struggle with that with Sam too. You know, to match point that game you get in where it's close and you didn't know it was going to be close. You know, that's when you got it. You're going to unleash Bam Bam Sam. Yep. We talked about it last year. You know, Bam, you know, Bam Bam Sam's biggest games in terms of rush attempts were in the biggest games of the season. The both of the Oklahoma's, USC and Georgia. I think he had twenty plus rushes attempts in that game. So that's the key. You don't want to put him in any type of danger or at a risk. But that is the identity of your team. Yeah. Yeah. He forges it. It's 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 Bam Bam. It's a quarterback that will run over your freaking outside linebacker. That's what makes us unique. That's why a Big 12 team, as you pointed out, can win the Big 12 if we need to. But also, we can go play Georgia and mm-hmm. Bama and Clemson and hold our own because of the physicality aspect. You can't you can't lose that. That's, that's like that's how why Belichick was. He's malleable. He can yeah. play every style and adapt to it and bring out something new in the Super Bowl that you've never seen. Very few college exactly. teams can be multifaceted and be like, oh, well, we can play in the Big 12, but when we go to take on an SEC team, we can be as tough, strong, and as big as you, and not many teams can do that. In, in hindsight, like the one Big 12 team I really wish would have gotten in the playoff would have been that 2014 TCU team. 
because Gary Patterson had that kind yeah, of team. Yeah, he did have that. You had an offense yep. that could match scores with anybody in the country, but it's Gary Patterson, and that was one of his best defenses. Flexible, versatile defense. Yeah, that's a great point. I don't agree with you on that one. Like, that was one of those teams yeah. that, like, sometimes we see teams and you see them in person, like, yeah, man, they're, maybe they're not as good as I thought. Or, eh, they're probably going to be. I came away watching that TCU team thinking they're a hell of a lot better than I thought they were. Extremely balanced. Yeah, I remember that team. And, man, if they, if they don't had have a – Had a dual-threat quarterback. If they don't have yeah. a meltdown in the fourth quarter in Waco that year, they're that they're in the playoff. Yeah, the RA took them down, man. <laughs> I mean, that's what – the RA's been eating uh, – you know, we've been eating each other alive in the Big 12 for years. I think now it'll be interesting to see – because that's why, that's why I think that Tom Herman wants David Beatty so bad, too. Remember, David Beatty – He's like a second cousin of the Air Raid. You know what I mean? Yeah. You look at uh, teams that had that uh, utilized four wide receivers last year. I think Texas Tech was number two in the country, and I think top five. Uh, Kansas was top five too. Texas doesn't utilize a lot of ten personnel four wide receivers, no. but they can, and especially if they have guys like Jake Smith and Jordan, Jordan Whittington. Whittington. <laughs> Imagine those two guys in your slot, and then you're outside, and you got Keontae Ingram in the backfield. <gasps> You know what I mean? Like, and, and David Beatty, he's a guy that likes to, uh, you know, accentuate and highlight the passing game. So I think that's why he wants David Beatty in here really bad too, to kind of advance that passing game a little bit. You know yeah, but I, mean? I, I think I think Larry Fedora is going to help them do oh, a yeah. lot of that. Larry Fedora's the RPO guy, especially with the RPOs. I think he's yeah. a, but I think everybody's got a, a purpose, right? Andre Coleman, he's the quarterback run game because who has a quarter, who's a better quarterback run game than K State? He knows that quarterback run game really well. We'll say, yeah. You know what I mean? And he's bringing in. Um, I think he's bringing in Larry Fedora for the RPO game because he wants situational football. So if some team feels like they have a great game plan versus Texas, or something isn't working in the offense, or somebody gets hurt, hell, man, you can RPO teams to death. Ask Philadelphia; they want a Super Bowl running RPOs, and then that's why I think they want he wants David Beatty too because I think he wants to spread this offense out a little bit. He wants to be a little bit more multi-dimensional. He ran eleven personnel with ninety percent of the time in twenty seventeen. I think it probably came down to eighty percent of the time in twenty eighteen. He wants to be more versatile than that. He does. Yeah. The one guy on the Kansas staff I wish Tom Herman could have hired would have been Clint Bowen because you talk about a defensive oh. guy who's really been in the Big 12 so long and really yeah, seen dude. it all. Yeah. Uh, that would have been an asset. But I agree with you on that. Okay. In the time we got left, I just want to do some kind of quick hitter type stuff to get us ready for camp. Practice mm. starts on Friday. Let's do it. I think they go Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Tom Herman likes getting those shorts practices, the the acclimation practices. Three of airports, those, right? If you will. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And then you can start start the good stuff. So, Rod, when we talk about position battles, we've got some. The H receiver, that's probably going to end up being Josh Moore and Jake Smith. Uh, inside linebacker, Delia Dayway, Caleb Johnson, that's what it sounds like it's going to be at least to start. How the hell do you deploy all these safeties and how do you use them? Mm-hmm. And, and I think the offensive line just figuring out who your five are. You've got – plenty of candidates that are good enough to be yeah. those five, but where are those five going to fit? Agreed. That's the challenge for Herb Hand. Which of those intrigues you the most? Uh, oh, or is it something good. else that intrigues you? Which one intrigues me the most? Eight, that, that H receiver intrigues me the most, and I think it'll be Jake Smith in the end. I, I don't know what the timeline's going to be on it, but from what I hear, there's a difference. There's, yeah. a, there's a difference. <laughs> and Jake Smith hadn't figured it out yet because Jake Smith's not. I mean, I think he's still not really refined. Yeah, no, as a receiver, he's Sam just kind El- of a raw, raw. freak athlete. What, what, Sam Ellinger, awesome. what Sam Ellinger told me, and again, I know I hate that term when reporters are like, oh, he told me such and such, and it's like in a media session with like 10 other people. Yeah. But like I basically hey, got Sam one-on-one. That's, on, that's closer to Sam than most of I, us get. I basically got Sam one-on-one at the end when it was winding down and everybody had left, and what he told me about Jake Smith was, 
The thing that's impressed him the most is he really doesn't even know what he's doing as far as his footwork and route running, yeah. and he's still getting five and six yard separation on guys just because he's that good. He's Russell Westbrook, of what I've been told, basically. Like he, like <laughs> Russell Westbrook, like, Russell Westbrook ain't got, he's not, he's got, he didn't have any refined basketball game. Still was the MVP. He's just a freak out there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think I, I think Jake Smith's gonna end up winning that job, and I I think Adeoye is gonna end up winning the linebacker job. Just from what I'm what I'm hearing about the way guys are progressing and what's expected of them. And I think at an offensive line, that probably has the most mystery. Um, to yeah. me, I think in the end, Jake Smith's a difference maker. There's a gap between he and – was it Josh Moore? Yeah. I think there's a gap. There's a gap there. A day away from what, I, from what even Todd Orlando is <clears throat> saying. Yeah. A day away seems to be right now – at least in the best position to and, win. And that's that what I like about Todd Orlando is he'll be honest with you. And, and he, he will. And he said, you know, he questions some of the athleticism stuff with Delia Dayaway, and based on what he's done this summer, doesn't question it as much. Exactly. Anxious to see what it looks like. Yep. And we talk about honesty. I didn't even bring up nose in the Andrew position Cobra. battle because wow. we asked him about it at coaching <laughs> school, and he was like, there's some guys in there, but I'm going to be honest with you. I think Coburn's <laughs> the guy. Who says that? Who says that? I love this, it. This red shirt freshman's the guy. Period. Those other, some other guys. Those other guys must be must be pissed. I mean, if I was one of those other guys, and you know, maybe it was to motivate those other guys. Maybe they was like, man, this guy, this redshirt freshman, should not be on your level if you are a senior or a junior. They shouldn't be. If they are, and what we always say, if a freshman is on your same level, go with the freshman. Yeah, because you got way higher upside. Yeah, you're the next Malcolm Brown or something like. We might not be. We only see him for two years. So I, 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 so I think less mystery there. Biggest mystery to me, offensive line and what Todd Todd Orlando is going to do with all those safeties. (sighs) I think in the end he ends up playing all those safeties. I think he, I think, I think a dirty dime, the lightning package. Or some version of it ends up being your base I think, by midseason. By the time Jake Smith is starting at H, <laughs> I think your I think your best position battle when it boils down to it. I, I think there's two. I think left guard because to me, if Junior Angelou and Parker Braun are even, I think you've got to find a place for Junior Angelou on your starting five. Put him at right guard. Hell, it doesn't it's a good matter. problem to have if that's the case. Yeah, exactly. And but I think I think Joker. I think that battle between Demarvion Overshone and Chris Brown. That could end up being maybe the best position battle in camp. And and also, what a great luxury to have. That, yeah. Because if, if that Deronville and Overshawn is pushing Chris Brown, which Todd Orlando already admitted, this guy is I need to find I need to find a place on the field for him because he he looks that good during the spring, then that means you may have two starting caliber guys I, there. And <laughs> once again, a luxury, a, a, an embarrassment of riches at safety. It's first world problems. First like, world problems. I keep yeah. I keep trying to find reasons to not be so optimistic about this team. And then I'm listening to myself like, we're talking about one of the best position battles being who's going to be the freaking dime back. The dime yeah. DB, because your three safeties in that big nickel now with B.J. Foster, I think is going to be one of the best like secondary cores in the country. We're like yeah. looking, who's yeah. going to be the left guard? Who's going to be the, who's going to be the joker in a dime package? First world problems, baby. Yeah, this is, uh, uh, this is a long way away from two years ago about you know who's going to be the starting quarterback at Texas. Now That's we're talking about how many problem. reps of backup, how many reps Casey Thompson going to get? We're not worried about the starter. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm worried yeah. about Casey Thompson, man, if he has to get enough. Roshan Johnson going to get some reps? Is he getting enough reps, coach? Oh, what a great life we live now as Texas football. Well, I'm going to live it up, man. We went through Tyrone <laughs> Swoops and Gerard Hurd battles. Oh, and, man. Yeah. You know, how many so, how many touches is Jordan Whittington gonna get per game? We gotta. I'm really stressed out about this. It's coach. A lot different. Like, can okay when they go to South Bend, can they keep it within ten? Right. Can they keep it within the two touchdowns? Yeah. yeah so no, you're right about. It. I totally agree with that. But I think your the, the offensive line though, 
you talk about one thing that could be the biggest difference maker for this Texas football team. You get an offensive line that could be, and I'm not, they ain't got to be the best offensive line in the country or even in the Big 12, but better than they've been since Tom Herman's been here. And then you now have game breakers in the backfield with Keontae Ingram and Jordan Whittington added 15, 20 pounds of armor. So each of those guys can give you 10 to 15 carries or whatever you need, takes the load off of Sam Ellinger, and then he becomes the secret weapon. Yeah. So the Sam Ellinger mm-hmm. show, it's like, don't make me unleash Bam Bam Sam on y'all in the red zone, uh, third and one, fourth and one. You know what I mean? And or he becomes I, unpredictable when that he's Or he becomes run. unpredictable. We might just use him a hell on first down. Yeah. Like, then it becomes to the point where I think he's even more effective in, in, in situational football. Don't, than I don't now. want anybody to misconstrue what I'm about to say, but stylistically it becomes a lot like the 2005 offense when, all right, you guys are tired of chasing Jamal Charles and Ramon Taylor around for three quarters. This is still a game in the fourth quarter. All right, Tim. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Get, Take they it. Are, go. They already we we warmed we already beat them up a little bit. All right, we we stretched them out. Now they're worried about uh, hitting the corners with Jamal Charles and Ramon Taylor. Now Vy, just go out there and 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 light them up. <laughs> yeah, no, just you're take right. the ball and go. And uh, yeah, no, I agree with that. But that's and, and I guarantee, you, like if you get in a close game with LSU in the fourth quarter, that's when Tom Herman says, you know what? All right, it's time to, it's time to load up Bam Bam Sam. Oh, it won't even be in the fourth quarter. It'll be in the first quarter. Well, yeah. You'll unleash Bam Bam you, you, you Sam early on. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, those big games, you'll see. Uh, well, VY led Texas in rushing and in passing in 05, just like Colt did in 08. I don't see that for Bam Bam Sam this year. I think if that happens, then maybe something's gone wrong with the offense. Maybe there's an injury, knock on wood, or something. I think Keontae Ingram is the guy they want this, to lead this team in rushing. But you know the five five the three five hundred stat right? Last time Texas had at least three different rushers run for five hundred yards was two thousand five. I think that's where you want to be. That's the sweet spot. You know what I mean? There have been what twenty I think twenty college football playoff teams in the CFB era. Eleven of them these eleven of them have had at least three different rushers rush for five hundred yards. So in the last two years, I want to say seven. I want to say yeah, it's seven of. Seven teams maybe in the last two years that have been able to do it, have three different teams rush for 500 yards. And Texas was 18 yards away from having that last year. Were they really? Yeah, yeah you're you right. They were. They were pretty Watson close. Watson at 786, Ingram yeah. at like 708, I think, and then Ellinger at 482. Yeah. So, they were really close to having that last year. No, I'm, so I, yeah. Man, but again, I, again, like we talk about, you talk about, you know, a game of inches, and I hate that cliche, but like if Sam's knee doesn't touch, then we're talking about, your different red zone numbers, Good different point. rushing numbers. Like, you win that West Virginia game yeah, if West you Virginia punch it game. in right there. 11 win. To, yeah, I'm with you, brother. No, nah, you're right. You can change everything. But that's how that's how close I think Texas is. But Sam's got to take another step. And, you know, it's, it's asking a lot for him to take another step considering yes. what we've seen so far. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because, I mean, you look at just the st- – I mean, you brought up that USC game earlier, and that was sort of when Texas fans were sold on him. But then it's so early in his career, you really haven't – that was – if you think back, that's his, what, third game of his career yeah. that you come into, and you sort of are birthed into this situation that, say, a guy like Colt or Vince didn't have to where he had these games where he struggled or the team lost and they weren't that good. And he was able to – have be put into situations at a very young age that most quarterbacks like say Vincent Colt never had to have mm-hmm. those type of situations unleashed to them that young so now he's almost seen everything so if it's late in a game you know that man well at least he has is experienced enough in these competitive I games. didn't I didn't breathe in and enjoy the Sam Ellinger USC and K-State games as much as I should have because all I was thinking about was Tyrone swoops against Oklahoma in 2014 and Gerard Hurd against Cal the following year. And then 
Shane Bouchelle against Notre Dame to open the 2016 season and how things kind of went from there. So I didn't enjoy that as much as I probably should have started the start of Sam Ellinger's career. And I took a couple quick notes just looking on those same offenses where Texas had the horrible, you know, defensive performances, the lower percentiles in Oklahoma ended up being the number one offense. So Oklahoma State, number seven, West Virginia, number nine, and Tech, 23. And if you look like OU That's average. That's in terms of S&P Plus, right? Yes, yeah. overall rankings. And if you look at OU overall, they averaged 570 yards per game against everybody else. Well, even, and this is counting Texas holding them under their average both times at 498 and 532. So Texas held them in two games to 515 yards. That means that Oklahoma's at about 580, 590 against everybody else. So still, you know, in context, holding them well below their season averages are pretty good performance. To correct my stat before we get out of here, um, in the last two years, there have been 13 Power 5 teams have at least three different players rush for at least 500 yards. Seven of those Power 5 mm-hmm. teams played in the college football playoff. That's pretty good. It's so a hit you rate. basically have a better than a 50% chance to play in the college football playoff if you can get into that statistical criteria. That you can meet that statistical criteria. Yeah, yeah that, exactly. It's all about, that's all about depth. That, many that means good you're not really good players. running backs. It means your offensive line is really good. doesn't matter who's running behind them. It, says, it means you're probably playing with a lead a lot of the times yep. because you're not bad. It says a lot about your the team. team. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. that, yeah. uh, real quick, I want to hit a couple more. Rod and Matt, if you want to chime in, give me a player who's on the clock who needs to have a big camp. Ooh. Player on the I clock. mean, right now, I honestly, or like I if they, if they don't do it, is. if they don't do it now, they're probably going to get passed up. Mm. Kate well, Brewer, yeah, I could see that because the receivers, end, the depth that, yeah, yeah because you got so a lot many. of, I think you got a lot of tight ends, and it's like, all right, well, this is Kate Brewer's year to do it, and if Kate Brewer doesn't do it, it's like, well, what's happening with tight end? Because mm-hmm. especially coming off what Andrew Beck did, I can see them going, all right, let's give. Reese Latow. See, I said, or, I said Reese Latow. Or some, oh, you said it's for, oh, you said it's, it's a flip thing. Well, you know what? Let's say tight end then. Yes. Tight, tight end, end is a period. position where if somebody don't produce real quick, they're going to move on to the next one. Or if somebody does produce, one. you take the job. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a job I think that's kind of open. I think Kate Brewer's the lead candidate, but I could see, yeah, you're right. I could see Reese Latow going, man, we're moving past you. We got other guys we're bringing in at tight end. So um, I throw tight end out there. The other guy I would put in the kind of on-the-clock category to me, going back to the, the offensive line, and maybe we'll get more to this next week, Denzel Okafor to me is one of those guys. Ooh, I totally because if yeah. if he's one of your best five, to me, yeah. if Denzel Okafor and Parker Braun are two of your best five, then that, that to me completely changes the outlook of this offensive line, and it significantly raises the ceiling. If Okafor's not that guy, then to me, maybe you're playing Derek Kerstetter in a spot where maybe he's not as effective. I agree with that. You know, so basically, Braun and Okafor, I think, are really going to tell the tale for Herb Han. Okay, now what do I do with Kerstetter? Okay, yeah. here's what I got. Boom, put him at right guard. Or if it's Braun and Angelau, okay, and put him at right tackle. Or if Braun, Angelau, and, and Okafor are all three of your best five, all right, now Kerstetter is your your sixth man. Yeah, you know, who can just fill in wherever. That's why I think you leave, you leave Kerstetter out of the mix. You just try to find a, a, the best five outside of him, and then fill him in where you weakest. And then give me a wild card player, somebody that you think if they hit completely, maybe that they're not a starter. You know, like like a Demarvion Overshone, right? Like if Demarvion Overshone ends up being one of one. your best eleven on defense, then Rod, that you're. 
I don't even know if you can quantify what that means to this defense. <laughs> DeMarvion Overshone is one of so your best like 11. Yeah, the best secondary in the whole Somebody college football. Somebody needs to okay, – so, so, okay, so the sleeper, can it be a starter or somebody who's not a starter? You said somebody who's not yeah, a starter? somebody that just if – they, if they hit their ceiling. Like, you expect Sam Ellinger to hit his ceiling. Are you talking about Johnson. a guy that could be a the surprise player? Like, a, 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 a guy that you think can get to that level. Taquan Graham is probably there. Don't you remember hearing Taquan Graham's name that's all the a, time? That's a good pick, And then yeah. I hear that in terms of the weightlifting and the testing, he's like a freak of nature. The he can play multiple shades. And it's like, so when is this guy going to become, you know, a beast? And he's he's not got a, a sack and a half in two years. Or a war daddy yet. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think like I'm a Taquan Graham guy. I like him, though. I love oh, yeah. Him. But I'm waiting on him to have a breakout. Yeah. He hadn't had it yet. Like, if he's if he's your force up front with Graham Ooh. and Coburn and Roach, and, yeah. and now Roach has a position where – he plays. Look, I know this this portion of the podcast is going to sound like we're drinking Kool Aid, but man, it's again, it's really hard to no. not be optimistic about where this thing is going. Trust me, man. I wasn't trying to drink Kool Aid. I ended up with Texas at five. That could change, <laughs> but if they win the Big Twelve, you can't deny they're one of the best five teams in the country. Right. And we got them winning the Big Twelve. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. So I don't know. All right, let's go ahead and switch gears. Let's talk some recruiting with Mike Rose. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It is time to come strong with the recruiting segment of Longhorn Blitz. Mike, we, uh, as I bring in Horns 24-7 recruiting editor Mike Roach, Mike, we've talked about it for like the last however many shows we've done now. We're getting like multiple commits every show that we can talk about. It really is. I mean, it's the the bump that that Longhorn Blitz has given this recruiting effort is incredible. So how many points do you think – you and I should get in the recruiter rankings by way of the blitz because if it wasn't for us, I don't think the summer momentum would have been generated. I would say we should at least get half of each commit that's committed since we started doing the podcast. <sighs> so like Longhorn Blitz could right now be like the uh, like the twenty third best recruiter in the Big Twelve or whatever that would be. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, um, I think everybody listening to the show will just settle for the fact that Texas is doing really well. We'll talk about the most recent commitments uh, coming up here in just a little bit. But, man, let's go ahead and just get it out of the way, Mike. We were talking about this before we started recording. So let's just go ahead. As of right now, I'll turn it over to you, let you spill what you know. Bijan Robinson, the five-star running back out of Tucson, Arizona, South Point Catholic. This thing was trending Ohio State, heavily slanted towards Ohio State. And then over the weekend, it completely flipped. Everybody on the national scene has changed their 24-7 sports crystal ball predictions to Texas. You recently made the switch and changed yours to Texas. Everything looks to be trending Texas as we sit here. And he's scheduled to announce on Friday. So if you're listening to this Friday and he's made the announcement, sorry you didn't get to this sooner, but... Mike, we're sitting here, what, probably 90-some-odd hours away from announce time. Where do you see this sitting right now? Well, let's go back to when he took his official visit to Texas um, in June for the Heat Wave pool party. So coming out of that event, I heard very, very positive things. Um, You know, several sources at Texas said to me, 
we're shocked he didn't make a commitment on the spot, at least silent, if not a verbal commitment. Um, I mean, that's kind of how good they thought the visit went. Um, and the feedback that they received from Bijan Robinson, uh, you know, which obviously led to to me uh, putting in a crystal ball initially for Texas and, and thinking it might go that way, thinking that Texas had the depth chart to sell, that they had, you know, just about everything they needed uh, to win that recruitment. And then it was like a day or two later, he went to the Rivals Five Star Challenge and was surrounded by Ohio State commits and leans and all of a sudden came out with the, you know, the Buckeyes had all the momentum and, and that's really where it went. I think I had written off Bijan, and and I think a lot of people had. And um, you know, I woke up Sunday after a long weekend, and uh, it sounded like that uh, he had told Ohio State he was not going to be them. Um, and since that time, I've pretty much been on the phone the whole time, just basically chasing down sources to see what I can find out. You know, the great thing about working at twenty four seven and um, having come from working in an independent side, I never had this help is is the strength of the network. I think it's one of the best things uh, we have going for us. And absolutely, I, I think readers almost look at it like, you know, if if a guy like Blair Angula who who handles our mountain region where uh, where Arizona is, where Bijan is, if he comes and drops information, sometimes readers will say, well, why aren't we getting this from Mike? But, you know, you're not just paying for information from me. You're paying for information from the entire network. Um, and that's kind of what makes us as great as we are. Uh, but, you know, I think that I, I was able to to reach out to a couple of our guys in the network. You know, Steve Wiltfong um, heard some very, very positive things. Um, I talked to Greg Biggins out on the West Coast, who has a lot of contact with the California schools that were in uh, contention for Bijan Robinson. He started hearing, you know, Texas on his end. And then, you know, when Blair kind of came through, and put his crystal ball in as the local Arizona guy, I think that that's like about the perfect uh, trifecta of national analysts that could come through. From there, you know, I kind of kept working my sources and, um, you know, I wanted to be as certain as possible. And in recruiting, you're never certain with anything. Um, But, you know, when I got to a point where I felt comfortable enough that this is, hey, this is about as certain as I'm going to be on the case, even though it it doesn't mean it's 100% lock, but... I was about as sure as, as I think I was going to be this week. Um, went ahead and put my crystal ball in as well. Now, look, this has been an extremely unpredictable recruitment in the last uh, couple of weeks. You know, I mean, this one was done. It was as done as done could be yep. um, on the Ohio State side. So it would not totally surprise me if Bijan decided to put his commitment off. It would not totally surprise me within the next couple of days something changed and Maybe Ohio State's back in it, or maybe there's another school in it. Um, all bets are off at this point. And, you know, Jeff, you know, usually when things get this wild, kind of down near the end of a recruitment, it means that really nothing is out of play. And um, I think right now, as we're sitting here recording, I feel good about Texas. You know, talk to me tomorrow morning, and that might be a different story. Why does it seem like like running backs typically have these kinds of recruitments? Like if you think about it, just like me going off the top of my head, like Chris Warren had a recruitment like this or up until the last minute. I mean, allegedly it was a coin flip. Chris still says to this day it was a legit coin flip, but the Texas staff didn't think it was or I guess that's drama for another day. But like so-so Jamabo, I don't know. Maybe I'm making just a general comment, but it seems like running backs tend to have these kind of recruitments in this way. I I I don't know what you think about that, but... I think skill positions in general, because you see it a lot with receivers as well. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. 
So I think if you're looking at running backs and receivers, I don't know if it's maybe more of a they are a spotlight player on the field. So maybe they feel they have to have a spotlight type of recruitment. Um, you know, and it's certainly not all of them. I mean, Keontae Ingram had one of the easiest recruitments I've ever seen. You know, he was literally didn't talk much, took his visits, committed to Texas, never really wavered from that point. So, um, you know, I mean, it's definitely not the story with everybody. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it. it and it seems like this year, more than anything, none of these recruitments have been easy. They've all kind of, you know, had their moments at the end where we're like kind of white knuckling a little bit going, okay, is this going to, is what we're hearing right now going to hold on? Because we're always yeah. in the information business, we're victims of whatever our information is at the time, you know? So, you know, regardless of the way this turns out and, you know, there are people on the board who kept saying, why haven't you put a crystal ball in yet? Why haven't you put one in yet? And, you know, my thing is, is I always like to work it from my end. I love getting the input from the other guys in the network. It helps me support what I'm hearing. But at the end of the day, I'm accountable for my work, and I'm the one who answers for crystal balls gone wrong on our site. So, um, you know, I wanted to be as certain as I could be on it before putting something in. And and I am, like I said, I'm a victim of, of the information I'm getting at the time. And, and as we know, it could very well change in a, in a very short amount of time. Yeah, I think that's that's important, Mike. Like, you know, you and I have talked about it, and just to kind of let uh, – just shed a little light kind of when we're chopping it up and, you know, before we report something, especially, you know, when, we don't get it as much on the team side because a lot of that stuff, especially under Tom Herman, tends to be pretty cut and dried, whether you're talking about – you know, an injury or a transfer. I mean, usually I can't think of too many situations under Tom Herman where you hear if a guy's injured or a guy's getting ready to transfer or whatever, you know, it leaks out. And then it usually seems like it's not very long after that when everybody knows. And then, you know, Texas puts out some information, but man, in recruiting where, you know, the coaches can't talk, you know, Texas can't say anything about these kids. Um, like you said, it, it's when you get down to the very end, you know, you really have to be careful about what you're hearing. And, you know, not I'm not throwing any any other outlets under the bus, but yeah, I think for some markets there's a need to kind of pacify the fan base. But uh, I say all that to say this, Mike. I tell you all the time, man. If you don't have anything to report, don't report anything. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the biggest thing is I don't I don't try to have reports just to have a report on something. You know, sometimes I'll say, sometimes I I think it's reasonable to check in and say, hey guys, I've done some checking. There's nothing really new. Just wanted to let y'all know. That's where things kind of stand and an update like that. But I think this business has kind of turned into a lot of people making non-updates because they feel like they have to keep generating content and they're really not saying anything new. Yeah. And I think in the end that that gets uh, old to a reader. So, uh, you know, for me, I, I try to stay with the facts, try to stay with uh, what's logical and just try to trust those things and uh, understand the fact that I'm dealing with a teenager and, and understanding the way I was as a teenager, uh, you know, just try to do my best based off that. Yeah. I mean, you know, just thinking about it, you know, when you, do you talking about the need to turn non updates into updates and not that I was doing that, but you know, like when, I'll give you an example. Like when I was at inside Texas, um, the first kind of really wire to wire cycle that I covered was 2010. Well, by the time we got to summer, it was like Jordan Hicks and Jackson Jeffcoat, you know, maybe DeMarco Cobbs. There's literally like three or four guys that you're trying to like, okay, well, how do I put a new spit on this this week? So, um, from that standpoint, the Texas market, it's gotten a lot easier because things are a lot more fluid throughout the cycle. And we've seen this staff do a really good job of, 
of managing the cycles. But yeah, it's just when you talk about the flow of information, uh, it's just really, really weird sometimes. And sometimes there really is nothing. And, uh, you know, we, like you said, we've, we've been checking sources in the network, you know, all the sources that we have. So let's take it from this standpoint, Mike, let's rank it kind of as we sit here again, 90 some odd hours, 80 some odd hours ahead of said decision time. If that decision time frame holds, will we be, pretty confident right now saying that the number one thing Bajan Robinson is most likely to do would be, be commit to Texas. Yeah. I would say if, if he holds firm to his date, I mean, that's okay. the most important thing. Right. So that brings me to number two is that I think the second most likely thing he would probably do would be push it back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see that as the only other option. I don't see us getting to night. Look, I'm the most superstitious person on earth, so I know that saying this is going to mean that the opposite is going to happen. <laughs> right. But um, I don't see it getting to Friday and then him picking a school that's not Texas. Right. Okay. So really, the thing. So basically, we're pretty pretty much looking at one of those two options as far as right now, as we sit right now. And again, things can change in the next day or two, but that's kind of where we stand right now. Is it's either Texas or he pushes it back and. I don't want to say we're back to square one, but I think, like you said, kind of all bets are off at that point. Yeah, I mean, if if he pushes things back, I mean, it gives Ohio State more time to get back into it, gives USC time to continue to work. Texas has already used their official visit. Um, I mean, Ohio State has too. But and SC has too, haven't they? Yeah, but, you know, in Arizona, he's probably – it's probably a little easier to get to SC yeah. for unofficial. He's not going to get to Ohio State or Texas – probably as easy for an unofficial but i would say if he pushes it back you know ohio state had the lead going into this week so i think it, it might be easier for them to overcome without an unofficial than it would for texas hey south south point's playing a game in uh in el paso in september and i'm planning to be there <laughs> it's already on the schedule okay how long from from your neck of the woods in tarrant county what kind of a drive is that what are you looking at drive time wise wouldn't know i'm gonna take an airplane Oh, you're fl- see, you're a smart man. So, like, when I went to watch uh, Zach Gentry a few cycles ago, I actually drove out to Albuquerque, and then went from Albuquerque to Lubbock the next day for the Texas Texas Tech game. That was the game where uh, Quandre Dix knocked Patrick Mahomes out in like the second or third drive of the game, whatever that was. So, yeah, that that was not a fun drive. Not yeah, a fun I don't drive. enjoy being in the car very long, and Southwest flies pretty cheap out there, so. Well, you know, like I said, it's not just a hop, jump, and a skip away to get from Austin. And Texas is playing in Rice at NRG that weekend. But I, I digress. So that's kind of where we are with Bajon Robinson. Mike, anything else you want to throw in uh, on this deal that we haven't touched? Um, Yeah, I mean, I would just say that, you know, the nature of this thing and talking to people out west is that, um, you know, Bijan's kind of flipped his mind a lot as to what school he's preferring over the last couple of months. I'm always of the mind that if a kid's kind of flipping at the end back and forth, probably shouldn't be ready to make a decision at that point. But, um, you know, a lot of these kids have put timelines on themselves and, you know, I think they become, um, they're putting that pressure on themselves and nobody else is. Um, I think that a, a lot more may need to just slow down the process, but if he commits, I would say that that's still something to watch because he still has an official visit scheduled to UCLA in the fall. Um, Texas will have to, I mean, he's arguably the most important remaining target on the Texas board. Now that Vernon Broughton's off, off the board. And I know that was kind of a question you and high went over 
I think on radio, maybe when yeah. you were doing radio, was who was the more important prospect. Right yeah. now, it's John Robinson. Um, Texas is going to have to do whatever they can to to get him, keep him, and sign him. Yeah, I mean, because look, I think the thing that you and I have been asked the most about in this cycle, whether it's on Twitter, on the board, uh, radio interviews, I mean, it always comes back to running back. And I mean, people can call it a throwaway quote if they want, but, you know, I talked to Stan Drayton about it at coaching school, and obviously he can't get into specifics and, and talk names, but I just asked him point blank. I said, do you feel by the end of, of this cycle, when the dust settles, you'll get the type of runner that can make this this offense go? And he looked me dead in the eye, and, you know, it's one of those deals like you had to be there to see his response, but it's very matter of fact that absolutely, absolutely we'll get a system fit back. So, I mean, they, look, it's like I keep saying, Mike, they know how important this is. Like, yes, Texas doesn't have a running back commitment, but Tom Herman, Stan Drayton, Tim Beck, those guys understand how important it is to get an elite runner. And, and speaking of Tim Beck, if this goes the way it's trending, if he does end up picking Texas, um, man, Tim Beck keeps earning his stripes on the recruiting trail. When you look at what he's done, not just with how they're handling the quarterback room, but you look at what he's done in the state of Arizona, whether it's Jake Smith or Brayden Liebrock, and if Bajan Robinson ends up coming, man, Tim Beck's proven to be worth his weight in gold as a recruiter right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you throw in the fact that Hudson Card, um, which Hudson Card was probably coming to Texas regardless, but that was a pretty open and shut case for Beck. Uh, Prince Dorba, he was really heavily involved in. Um, you look at the, you know, the quarterback last year, Rashawn Johnson, you look at Jalen Milrow already committed. I mean, Beck tends to get his guys quickly, close them quickly, and they tend to be no nonsense guys after that. Yeah, that that's a really important thing to say. You know, one thing I did want to hit on Mike before we move on, you know, we talked about just the nature of this recruitment with John Robinson, where it's all Ohio state and then boom, it flips to the last minute. I mean, Texas, if you want to kind of look at it as karma working in a good way, Texas was on the other end of this with Mookie Cooper, where he was a silent commit for what seemed like forever. He commits, and then it seems like he decommits, and Texas is just completely out of it. Yeah, I mean, I tend to think that stuff all evens out in the long run, that you're going to have your bad losses, your tough beats, you're going to have your your close wins, and I think it all kind of tends to balance out. But it seems like for Texas, especially at the running back position, it's been happening. They've been on the losing end a lot more recently than, than anything, and you know, I think that I can't imagine the strut Bijan or uh, Stan Drayton would have around Moncrief on Saturday. You know, if they end up landing uh, Bijan on Friday, uh, probably would take a load of weight off of his shoulders and uh, may you know loosen up the fan lynch mobs who are all, all over him. And um, you know, I think that it's like anything; it's like playing a game. Like it's like playing basketball, right? Like you hit a couple shots, and all of a sudden you got a little pressure off of you. You feel a little better. You start going more confidently into things. I think recruiting is, is the same way. And, you know, you hit this shot and it's a big one. And then, you know, you keep rolling. And the, and the way the momentum has been going lately, I mean, July has been just an incredible month. If they can roll yeah. that on in August, you know, I think Texas looks potentially very dangerous. You know, they've got a couple of decisions upcoming this week. I wrote an article because late at night, I'll just play around with the class calculator and plug guys into it and say, okay, well, what would the class look like if it had this in it? You know, and I think just by landing um, Bijan Robinson and Chris Thompson, they're top 10 class in the country. So, yeah. for, uh, you know, for for all the angst and all the hand-wringing we've seen this year, I mean, they're, they're literally two guys who are making a decision this 
week um, away from being a top 10 class in the country. Which if you could, you know, I, I looked at it, Mike, and I think from like 2010 through 19, so that's 10 cycles. I was told math would not be part of this week's show, um, but I went and looked it up. And this is a smaller class for Texas. In that time frame, there were, I only found 41 classes that were 23 guys or smaller that ended up being top 10 classes. And for the most part, man, you've got to have X number of five-star guys. You've got to have X number of top 100 guys. You've got to have top 150 guys. I mean, if you're going to take a smallish class and have it be a top 10 type class, you've got to hit on your big targets. And, man, I mean, yeah, like you said, Mookie Cooper, and there's been some other things that haven't gone their way, but you know, getting Vernon Broughton, if they're able to close with guys like Alfred Collins and Quentin Johnson, who we'll get to here in a minute. And, and speaking of that, like we talked about, you talked about with Stan Drayton, like that was only a couple of weeks ago, Oscar Giles couldn't recruit, and then he get, you know helps land Prince Dorba, and they get Vernon Broughton, and now you know he's uh, Oscar Giles has a chance. Oscar Giles has a chance to uh, to be. I haven't looked at it in the last few days, but he's got a chance to finish as the Big 12 recruiter of the year. Like, if they land Collins, then he'll be in that mix. But, you know, I trailed off there, and I lost my train of thought. But at any rate, Mike, yeah, I mean, it's it's you, you've you got to be able to close on top-end guys to have that kind of class. It's just, I mean, we're seeing stuff in recruiting with the way the staff is doing it that, I mean, following this stuff, even covering recruiting, following recruiting, and we haven't seen it done at this level back to back to back like this in a really, really long time. Yeah, and that's the stuff that that uh, dreams, you know, kind of are made of on the recruiting trail. That's um, that's uh, kind of how it works. So championships, uh, Mike. That's how championships are made. I mean, you want to exactly, look at how how Bama exactly. and Ohio State do it. That's how they do it. Yeah, I don't want to sound too much like the fake Jason Garrett, but, um, you know, you stack one good class on top of another and, uh, you know, th- things work out for you. I thought you were going to start talking about the process or something when you go you go fit the fake Jason Garrett route. <laughs> I like to go with the stack or whatever on another something. Good day, one good day on top of another. Whatever, whatever melts your butter. Um, all right, so we'll uh, we'll get off Bajan. Actually, one more Bajan-related topic. Uh, you've studied him pretty extensively, Mike. I mean, you and you've seen, you know, this pro spread offense. You've seen Keontae Ingram in it, Trey Watson in it. You go back and think about guys like Zeke Elliott and Carlos Hyde at Ohio State. I mean, it's pretty safe to say <laughs> you get this guy. Not only does he fit your system, but, man, you're talking about a salty, salty running back room. If you're talking about in, in 2020, rolling into a game with B. John Robinson, Keontae Ingram, and Jordan Whittington. Yeah, I mean that's it's not. Um, I, I think we've we've figured out that, or I think we've convinced ourselves that Texas is barren at running back, but really they are like one Bijan Robinson away from having a pretty nasty group in their backfield. And you know the great thing about running back is it is one of the positions that is probably easiest to get on the field as a freshman and yeah. contribute. And, and I mean, if you're a star and you're able to do it, you know you can come in and play and make big impacts right away. So literally that's all they are, just land one big guy this year, maybe land a, you know, a second solid guy who you could maybe redshirt or maybe even play just situationally, and all of a sudden you've turned a, a kind of a negative into a positive. Yeah. So we'll uh, just stick with the site and uh, follow Mike on Twitter at MikeRoach247. Uh, get all Mike stuff, obviously, at Horns247. Uh, anything changes or anything 
progresses or if there's any news on Bajon Robinson, uh, we will update it accordingly. <clears throat> but, Mike, you mentioned there's a couple decisions or one we know for sure coming up this week, um, a couple that may or may not pop depending on, you know, what a recruit feels like. But uh, Chris Thompson, the safety out of Duncanville, this is a guy you've been following for a really long time. Um, it's funny, everybody's kind of starting to pick up on, hey, Auburn's kind of in it for Chris Thompson, but, dude, you've been reporting that for a while now that it's for it's been Texas and Auburn. And, and Auburn, Auburn's, as we get closer to decision day, Mike, Auburn's really making this thing a fight for Texas at the end. Yeah, and some breaking news on the Longhorn Blitz podcast that just came across my phone as we were talking. Chris is actually pushing his announcement back to Sunday. Um, ah. From what I understand, he's just trying to finish up his commitment video. And uh, I think it's just like a production thing. They didn't have the guy who was shooting it wasn't available as early in the week as he thought he was going to be. So they're going to have to shoot it later in the week. Um, so that's uh, that's kind of what it is. But, um, yeah, I mean, Auburn, you know, Texas has been the constant in this race since the very beginning. They were one of the first schools to offer him. He's probably been to Texas more times than any other schools. He has a great relationship with Craig Niver, all that good stuff. But down the stretch, Auburn has been the other constant. You know, I think Ohio State moved in there for a little bit, and, you know, there was talk about LSU, but Auburn was always in there. And down the stretch, it sounds like Auburn is making it incredibly interesting. Um, Talked to sources last night uh, who said that Chris is kind of split on it. Um, I think there are members of his family that would prefer him to be at Auburn. Um, They were sold on the SEC angle of everything and the – you know, Texas is really getting killed on NFL development, and I think that's that's part of it. Even though, you know, in a year or two, they're going to be able to turn around and say, hey, we've got three guys who were potentially first-round safeties gone in the draft. Um, you know, right now, they can't necessarily do that. Yeah. So, so right now, Auburn is, you know, Texas has to, this is the thing, and this is what keeps that SEC machine rolling, but Texas can only sell what Texas does while Auburn and any other school in the SEC can sell the entire conference and their draft numbers, even if they aren't, you know, it's not like Auburn's been pumping out a ton of secondary guys, but they don't have to. All they've got to say is look at what the SEC has done in the draft. Right. So I think that there are some people in his family who would prefer him to go to Auburn from that aspect of it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's insanely close. It's, it's a lot closer than a lot of people think. Um, I've been talking with Keith, Keith Niebuhr, our, um, our Auburn writer who does a great job covering Auburn over there. Good um, dude, by the way. Oh, great, great dude. And he, um, you know, I think when I brought it up to him at first, like, Hey, I'm hearing some stuff on Chris that makes me think this isn't a slam dunk for Texas. He was kind of surprised. Like, I think he had kind of written him off. Um, and I think that, that now he started to dig in and he's hearing that Auburn feels a little, uh, cautiously optimistic. I would say it's not like they've got an overwhelming sense of confidence, but they right. do feel cautiously optimistic about it. And, you know, for Craig and I ever talk about a guy that had some bad luck, I think this year, I think he's been close, really close on a lot of recruitments. He's done a fantastic job putting together freak shows in that safety room. I mean, you want to talk about one of the strongest rooms on campus. Dude, I think it's the strongest. Brandon I think it's Jones. the strongest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it has to be like, I talked to Charles power at the opening and we were talking about safety prospects and he said, he said, you know, he goes, you know, Texas has put the safety position at a place where you have to be a legitimate freak now to come in there and play. And, yeah. um, you know, he's like, they probably have the most athletic safety room or, or defensive back room in the country. 
And so, you know, for Coach Niver, he's done a great job since he's been on campus, been one of the best recruiters on staff. But this year, it's just kind of fallen short for him a little bit. You know, losing out on Lathan Ransom when they thought they had a good shot at him, losing out on Bryson Washington when they had an early lead for him. So, um, you know, I think this one will probably hurt him the most because he's been on Chris for the longest. Um, kind of discovered Chris when he was a sophomore, had like four offers. Um, th- this one will probably hurt hurt Craig Niver the most, I would assume, out of out of all the losses if they were losing. Yeah, but I, I think it's you know the the flip side, Mike, and like you said, I mean, there's nothing Tom Herman can really do when you talk about the NFL development at Texas, you know, because the numbers are what they are, but. I mean, he's not responsible for that, so it's not like he can, you know, just start blaming Charlie Strong or whoever deserves to blame, whoever he would want to blame, because <clears throat> school X, whether it's Auburn or Ohio State or whatever, you could flip that and say, well, Texas doesn't put guys in the NFL, blah, blah, blah. But I think when you just look at this defense and, and this package, as Todd Orlando calls it, and when you talk about that joker position for a guy like Chris Thompson, you know, we just talked about with B. John Robinson, it's, it's easy for a guy to get on the field early you know, at running back because it's just one of those positions where, you know, you can highlight a guy and the, the transition's pretty easy. Man, that joker, especially in the Big 12, as much sub-package as everybody runs now, I mean, you can sell a guy, hey, look, come in and play this joker position. This is a way to get you on the field right now. Like, you don't have to wait. You can be, if you're if you're B.J. Foster and you're good enough, we'll get you on the field right out of the box. Yeah, and I think that um, it works with some kids and it doesn't with others because – I think some kids, especially Chris, are probably sensitive to the fact that they've been told they're a linebacker for the last year, and they probably look at that position and go, well, this is just a way of you making a linebacker without telling me I'm a linebacker. Um, and so it, it depends on on how that pitch works. I think that Texas does have the best positional fit for him. Right. Um, but I think that there's some people in the family. I, I Look, I've, I've known Chris for a long time. Um, I'm as close as with Chris as one in the media could be. I'm probably the closest person in the media with Chris along with like one or two other guys. Um, my personal opinion is that Chris wants to be at Texas. I think there are some people in his family who are overthinking things a little bit when it comes to the NFL development side. And they're worried that he's not going to get that at Texas and they're pushing Auburn. And I think that it's making it very difficult on Chris um, and difficult to make a decision. So, I think, you know, if you ask me right now, I think Chris wants to be at Texas. I think that would be his choice. But, you know, down the stretch when when parents and uncles and aunts and grandparents start sitting people down and talking, you know, things can always change in, in that aspect. And so, you know, we've tried to keep everybody up to date on, on the way this recruitment's going. At one point, it was pretty much a, a slam dunk. I think Auburn's done a great job this summer. Um a lot just kind of staying in contact with him. I think that they've made some very creative pitches to him, and I don't say that in any kind of nefarious way. I just think that they've done a really good job uh, pitching him. And, and, you know, Chris's biggest thing is he wanted somebody to have a plan for him because he knows he's kind of a unique type of player. He's a, right. a, a bit of a hybrid, and he doesn't want to hear linebacker. He knows he's not a straight safety. He wants somebody to have a plan for him. Um, I think Auburn's done a good job illustrating that. I think Texas has that plan for him as well. Um, but part of me wonders if it's, you know, if it's something in his head of he's been to Texas so many times, he's been recruited by Texas for so long that it's like hearing something new is kind of appetizing to him. No, I get that. And well, you know, we'll see, 
you know, at the end of the day, how all this turns out uh, with Chris Thompson. I guess, Mike, if you're looking for the silver lining, it's that, you know, the last two times, and you can correct me if I'm missing somebody, but I think the last two times a commitment announcement was delayed and pushed back because of a commitment video. I think the two I'm thinking about would be Jaquin and Jackson and Vernon Broughton. So if you're looking at it from that standpoint, if you're Texas, you got to feel good, right? Yeah. Look at Jeff coming with the stats. I yeah. love it. Hashtag stats. It's what I'm here for. I don't offer you know what? what? Now that you say that, yeah, every time I think this year that the commitment video has dropped on time, and Jalen Milrow, um, I mean, it wasn't pushback days, but like Jalen Milrow was supposed to drop his video at like noon and ended up dropping like 9 p.m. Um, <laughs> he dropped, he pushed his back technically a few times. So, yeah, I guess we could mark him. Every time the commitment video has dropped on time, it has not been kind to Texas. Yeah, Prince Dorba was like was a little bit late too. I mean, not like a day or anything, but I think it was one of those deals, or maybe it was. I don't remember. There was, there was something with Dorba where I remember something got pushed back. Yeah. Now he actually jumped forward today. Oh, was it forward? Okay. So technically, it wasn't on time though. Right. Exactly. He was early. So yeah. So see if you're a Texas fan. See some some fan bases worry about the hat game. If you're a Texas fan, learn your commitment video stats and plan accordingly. When these announcements go down, uh, Mike, let's kind of go rapid fire here. Stars at night. Uh, you had a great notes recap up on the site. You guys can still go over there and get that. Um, Quentin Johnston, Alfred Collins. Uh, we've got some offers to some 2021 guys. Uh, what do you think if you're a Texas fan wanting and they say, Mike, tell me what I need to know about stars at night. What should I take out of that? What would you tell them? It's just another event, another chance for the staff to touch base with a, with a number of their top targets before, you know, the season starts and kind of the last summer visit that they can do. Um, so, you know, I think that uh, we'll start with Quentin Johnston. Everybody wants to know where Quentin Johnston's going. I don't think Quentin Johnston knows where Quentin Johnston is going. Yeah. Um, he's very tough to read, doesn't give a lot away. I've mentioned that I've talked to coaches from multiple schools recruiting him, and none of them have any clue what's going on with him. You know, I mean, it's probably when I have to answer a question from somebody, you know, at like one of the other big 12 schools, one of the most common ones I've got this year is, Hey, do you know what, what's up with Quentin Johnson? So, um, you know, I think with Texas, you got to look at in a case where a kid is hard to read. I think you have to look at a lot of the factors that would lead you to believe you know, when you look back after he makes his decision, you can look back and say, okay, he did this, this, and this, and we should have known then. And I think with Texas, he's visited there again more than anyone. Does It's not the be-all, end-all. We've, we've talked about that right? with a bunch of kids who haven't committed to Texas. Um, Jared Wiley, his teammate, has been recruiting him very hard. I think he understands that Texas uses big receivers in a way that nobody else in the Big 12 is doing, um, and, and that really sticks out to him. I think he is the kind of kid who wants to stay close to home, so Austin is, is definitely appealing. I think that that also puts TCU in the picture as well. Um, but, you know, th- as it comes down to it, he doesn't really have a timeline, although he has talked about committing before the season, but he's also talked about taking all of his officials during the season and then committing. Um, I would say that Texas is in as good a spot as anyone, but I don't know that there is a clear leader, and I don't know that Quentin has a leader in his mind. Right. Um Probably doesn't impact Quentin Johnson as much, but any fallout wide receiver relations, we're talking about receivers. Uh, Johnny Wilson commits to Oregon. I know he talked about coming back to Texas for another visit. 
Um, what do you think? And I say that because I think was Javion Hester not at Stars at Night? I think he was, or maybe he wasn't. I don't remember off the top of my head. But um, what what do you think that does for receiver recruiting? Yeah, it is. So Javion Hester was there. Um, I think that it puts them in a spot where they need to find an X. Yeah. So I think that they look at Quentin Johnson as a guy who's probably a Z but has some versatility to play X because he's 6'4". I think that he's a Z more because he is a guy who really excels as a downfield receiver, a guy who can go deep and take tops off of offenses. Um, and I think they kind of see Javian Hester in that same way. So, you know, for Texas, they're going to have to find that they really like those big body physical X's, guys like Troy O'Meara, guys like Colin Johnson, guys like uh, uh, Johnny Wilson. And so that's why, I'm, that's why Malcolm Epps is, is stuck at X. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's funny because it doesn't always kind of work out that way, right? Like you see a guy and you think you got a handle on his skill set and you think you know where he fits and then it doesn't. Like I think I was looking at a depth chart in the media guide or I was watching a game or something and I realized finally, like, Brennan Eagles is a C. Yep. I would have told you Brennan Eagles was next in high school just because he is a bigger, stronger receiver. But when you start to think about it, what did Brennan Eagles excel at? He excelled at running fast in a very straight line down the field. Um, he wasn't overly physical. He wasn't overly, you know, fluid. And so I think, you know, it, it makes more sense there. So I could see, um, you know, I could see a case where I've just got Johnson read wrong, but I think his skill lends to being a deep threat type of guy. Uh, Hester is the same way, although I think Hester could be an X as well. I think that's actually the important thing is they do recruit receivers who are fluid enough in their projections to play either side. Um, and, and kind of be happy with it. Whereas I think in the first class they took guys at the position like Epps at X, and, and uh, I think Alvante Woodard's like a straight Z, and I, I guess Brendan Eagles is as well. Um, in the last two classes, it seems like they've taken guys with more positional versatility. Yeah, like Marcus Washington's a guy, kind of in that same mold, Mike. I could see him playing either or. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, and then, you know, LV Bunkley Shelton was also on campus. Her Texas did a very good job. Um, with that visit, I think he could be a Z. I think he could be a slot. I think he could actually fill a number of roles. So, um, you know, they'll find the receivers. I think receivers are about the easiest thing to find in the world. Um, obviously, they wanted Johnny Wilson, but, you know, there's a reason we talk about being apprehensive on crystal balls. I could have put a crystal ball in for Johnny Wilson to Texas based on what I heard coming out of his visit to Texas in the summer. But this looming visit to Oregon always kind of worried me. And, and I even said to somebody over the weekend, a source out in California, that, you know, I'll feel a lot better about this thing if, if Johnny doesn't commit coming out of the weekend. And he was like, oh, I don't see him committing. And then it wasn't an hour or two later that he had made his announcement. Yeah. So, you know, you just never when, when guys are on campus places, all bets are off there. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where things sit with the receiver recruiting. And I don't think it's a huge priority this year. I think that they've got enough talent in the pipeline that they can be extremely choosy when it yeah. comes down to who they pick this year. Um, I'm trying to think what else from Stars at Night. Alfred Collins, um, I think you mentioned, again, I mean, when you're talking about a guy who's been to campus, just I think I opened his interview by saying, so this can, is your can we Can we just address the fact off the top, Mike, that the kid is 286 pounds and looks freaking amazing on the hoof? And took part in the slam dunk contest. Yeah. I mean, 41 out of 50 in the slam dunk contest, which Quentin Johnson, by the way. 
Jeez, you know, Bucky Godbolt is a friend of mine. He was, for those who don't know, he's uh, co-host the morning show on 104.9 The Horn in Austin. He was the running backs coach at Texas. Under John Makovic, recruited Ricky Williams. And Bucky's seen Alfred Collins, and he said, you know, he said the kid, just his background, the raw athleticism. Bucky said the kid that reminds him the most of Alfred Collins that he ever coached or had been around was Tony Brackens. So that just tells you, like, just kind of the rare breed that Alfred Collins is as an athlete. Yeah, I mean he's he's a special looking dude, and um, he told us he was at two eighty six. He looks thicker just about every time I every time I see him. Um, he's really going to grow into something, and makes me think. I you know I used to have him kind of pegged again. We talked about it with receiver. I think I had Alfred Collins pegged solely as a four eye, and Vernon Broughton is a guy who could bounce between four eye and defensive tackle. I'm kind of starting to think Broughton or Collins could do the same thing and play defensive tackle as well. Uh, with the at the rate he's growing, but um, you know, I I opened his interview by saying it was his millionth visit to Texas, and he kind of laughed. And so you talk about again a guy who's been to Texas more times than any other school. He's right down the road. That obviously plays into that, but um, you know, he doesn't have to keep coming back for these things unless he wants to come right. back to these things. I think that there is a feeling in Austin that things it, it was very close in the spring. I think it's I think Texas has opened up a little bit of a lead. Now that said. He is going to take visits in the fall. He's going to Alabama and Texas A&M for his official visit to A&M. You know, if that ends up being an atmosphere like they have for Clemson, even if it's a close loss, I could see A&M making a big push. I think the encouraging thing is, is Texas is slated to get the last visit uh, of his officials in December. So right now I feel really good about Texas landing Alfred Collins. Mike, um, we actually ran a little bit long, but let's go ahead and start to kind of wind it down. I, I wanted to talk about uh, Andre Karich, and, and we'll, we'll save that for next week because I, I don't want to, you know, shortchange him. You know, the as as we sit here right now, uh, he and Juan Davis both. I want to make sure we give those guys plenty of time to talk about what their commitments mean to both of those classes. But uh, just to finish out, stars at night slash other stuff. Uh, anything as of right now on Jerry and Thompson, man, I really like this offer. Um, and I know, I know this, you know, I know Andre Karras got his offer a while ago, but I, I like it as the Texas staff under Tom Herman, as they've gone through cycles, you know, when they've gotten a chance to maybe see a kid in the spring, in the spring, a couple of times, they've got a chance to look at film. They kind of go into the summer. Maybe you reshuffle the board a little bit and then you offer, um, those guys tend to be guys that you look and say, man, that's a really good offer. That's a really good prospect. Um, it seems like things are trending Texas way in this Jaron Thompson recruitment. Yeah, I think so. You know, Jaron's had a, a, some tough luck in his recruitment where I think there were a couple schools he was ready to commit to that filled up um, before he could commit. And now he's just looking for a home somewhere he feels at home. The Texas offer was big for him. And I think that Texas played it extremely well because Texas has been looking at Jaron Thompson for two and a half years. Um, you know, the same day that they offered uh, Chris Thompson and Darius Snow, I was told that they were very close to offering Jaron Thompson. What they did was they said to Jaron, we're not going to offer you until we are absolutely ready to take your commitment. And right now we can't say with with absolute certainty. And I think that for Jaron, he's had the rug pulled out from under him a bunch this year. And so I think what Texas did was they waited. They had some movement on their board um, with, you know, with other safeties. And so, um, you know, I think that, when they made the move and made the offer, he knew at that point, hey, this is uh, this means that I, I can I can 
go into this recruitment with absolute certainty that I'm not going to get the rug pulled out from under me. Um, And so I think that that kind of endeared him to Texas early. Obviously, you know, for a kid growing up in East Texas, the Longhorns have a big pool. Um, TCU is also in that race. I think Oklahoma State is in that race. But with Texas getting the most recent commitment, I'm sorry, the most recent visit, and him wanting to make a commitment before the season, I think that Texas is probably in the driver's seat. Wouldn't surprise me to see something go down in the next couple weeks. Okay. Uh, Last thing from Stars at Night before we shut this down. Uh, Teddy Knox, Caleb Burton, the two offers, one in 2021, one in 2022 to a couple of wide receivers. Uh, What are your early impressions on both those guys? I heard Teddy Knox had a really good camp. Teddy Knox had a very good start to his camp, and then he uh, pulled a hamstring. Yeah. (laughs) Had to to miss half of it, but – uh, potentially the fastest kid in the state for 2021, just a burner. Um, I have contacts in Louisiana where he played seven on seven who were telling me about this kid a while ago. Now that he's in Texas, you know, I think Texas got very interested in him. Uh, Corby Meekins and, and Drew Maringer are both very involved. Um, of course, with him being now at the Woodlands, that's right in Corby Meekins area. Um, and then Drew being the other receivers coach had been um, involved. And I was told that the visit went extremely well for Teddy. Um, and so, you know, he earned the offer. I think he'll be back. Uh, he said he wants to come back for the LSU game. I have heard that, you know, an LSU offer would be a game changer for him, obviously, as a Louisiana kid. But I think Texas is as in it as anyone can be early on. It's just interesting to me the way that that slot position is going to. And, you know, I think Teddy could be a Z. I don't think he's necessarily a straight slot guy. Yeah. But um, it's just interesting the way receiver is going to play out in 2021 because when you look at guys like Billy Bowman or, uh, you know, JoJo Earl or, or Teddy Knox, there's there's a number of guys in 21 that seem to be high on Texas early, and obviously they're only going to have space for a few. So um, interested to see where that one turns out. And then, um, I'm sorry, you said Caleb Burton was the other one? Yeah, yeah. yep. So Caleb, a, a local kid out of uh, out of Del Valley, I think that's how you say it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, two, two points for you, Mike. If it's not Del Valle, I don't know. Um, it's El Paso Del Valle. Austin is Del Valle. Okay, so uh, the head coach's son at Del Valle, Caleb Burton, uh, really a kid who's been uh, as a 2022 picking up a ton of, of attention this spring, and I think people kind of wondered when Texas might offer. Um, he came to camp earlier in the summer. He came back for starts at night, picked up his offer then. Um, Obviously, as a local kid, we always think, well, that's a shoe-in. As we've seen over the last couple of years, that's not necessarily the case. Um, but I think Texas, you know, did a good job offering early on, uh, making an impression with him. Obviously, they're close to, uh, you, you know, the one thing that I really like about this recruitment um, going forward is that his dad, as a Texas high school head coach, you know that there's going to be a lot less potential for shenanigans. Right. And um, I always love those kind of recruitments because you're not dealing like if you're dealing with the whole straight line recruiting movement and all those things, you know, if you're dealing with a kid whose dad is a head coach at a high school, you're going to be you're going to be probably it's going to be a pretty straightforward recruitment. And that's what I'm really excited about um, with this recruitment. But uh, he's a kid with huge potential, um, will probably be one of the top players in the state for 2022. and, And, you know, Texas offered early as they should. All right, Mike, we'll shelve uh, Andre Carriage and Juan Davis for next week. We'll, uh, you know, we may drop a podcast. I don't want to tease too much. We may, if time permits, depending on how things shake out with uh, Bijan Robinson and Chris Thompson, maybe we'll drop something. But uh, 
if not, Mike, any any parting shot you want to offer uh, on this week's show? Um, it could potentially be a, a really good week, or it could potentially be just kind of a, a letdown week. You know, it just depends on if this, these announcements come through on time. And um, you know, the last couple of weeks have been very good over on the site, and commitments dropping left and right. The 2021 class is is exploding. It wouldn't surprise me if they add a couple more before the season starts. Um, but uh, just keep it tuned in to us over at Horns 24/7. We promise, I promise that I will bring you uh, the latest and try to keep you guys as up to date as possible with, with everything going on. All right. Thank you guys for sticking it out between Mike coughing and uh, Mike's uh, text messages going off. He's a busy man. Um, hopefully you guys got a good, uh, good chunk of recruiting talk there. Mike, thanks man. We'll do it again next week. All right. Thanks chef. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, big thanks to Mike Rose for joining us. Big thanks to Travis, the best damn videographer in the podcast game, for doing his thing this week. And we will do it again next week, and we'll have some actual practice to talk about. So until then, Matt, thanks for everything. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM, 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod on the Rodcast each and every weekday from 1 to 3. Shameless plug. You can get this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and like us. And thanks to Matt, you can get our archives, classic shows, classic interviews, all on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.